Good morning and happy Tuesday. This is the Restore Podcast and today I have an amazing storyteller. Words cannot describe her story and I'm so honored that she is on this podcast today. Um, It's going to be full of a lot of information. Um, She was a practice member of ours and she's just had such a story with a coalition and we'll get into detail about everything that is, but today I really want to welcome Robin Fleming. So hello, Hello. welcome. Tell us, tell listeners a little bit about yourself because we're going to dive so deep into your story and it's pretty wild. It is pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So my name is Robin Fleming. I am a Columbia native for the most part. Um, I'm happily married to my husband who I've been friends with since sixth grade. Um, we went to West Junior, and I have a 12-year-old daughter that um, lives in my home. Then we have older kids. I have a 24-year-old. He has a 24-year-old. Well, he has two 24-year-olds. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and we have total 12 grandchildren between, we always say we have 14 kids between my, oh my kids, ours, and our exes. And you should have been on the last podcast. I know. <laughs> and then 12 grandchildren. We have two on the way. So, yeah, we're pretty busy with that. Um, and my husband works at the new mental hospital here in town going on two years this week, actually. Phenomenal. So, yeah. Awesome. So I brought you on because your story, I want to hear more about, like, from beginning to now being free. And for listeners, you're like, free from what? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I have Robin, but she was a survivor of human trafficking. Um, and you just celebrated a huge freedom yes. day yesterday. Yesterday. So this is really surreal that I asked you and this happened. Yes. It's like, what? Timing's everything. Yeah. And so how many years are you free? I've been free 14 years. That is incredible. So. Um, I want to dive so deep into the story, but um, tell listeners about like from beginning to end because there's just so many layers. And sometimes I don't even know what to ask of like, how do we get here? Yeah. So, my story begins pretty much from birth. Um, I'm a child of rape. Uh, My mom was 14 and my dad was 24. So, as much as I think my mom wanted to love me, there was always that negative vibe. Um, And I know she tried for a very long time to be the most loving and comforting mom. And I don't think that she ever intentionally didn't love me or nurture me. I think it was just unintentional distancing. Um, she got remarried when I was four to my stepdad and had three girls by him. And then I just, over the years, I just started noticing the behavior towards me was different. And, um, my sisters could pretty much do anything they wanted and I couldn't breathe without getting in trouble for it. You're like the Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. And it started to feel like I was starting to be, be blamed for what she had been through as a child and what my dad had put her through. Um, you know, I would hear things like, ugh, like I'd ask her a question, she'd be like, ugh, you get on my nerves, you look just like him, or, and these are things that I didn't even understand at the time, because I didn't, I actually didn't find out that I was a child of rape until about two years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so. That's even more with healing and layers and, like, stuff being brought back. Yeah, I started to do, like, ancestry and stuff, because I'd always ask her, like, I just, I, I want to be able to know who my dad is, just so I can form the opinion. If I don't want to have a relationship, if I do... Or just to learn about my past, you know, where I come from, my ethnicity, 
Um, it was always apparent that I, my complexion was different than my sisters and my mom's and who I thought my dad was. And as I got older, the kids started bullying me and picking on me because I was denying who I was. I was denying my color and things that I just completely didn't understand at the time. I just thought everybody was everybody. And <laughs> we all I think it's in- because like in the black community, they're like, you need to be black. And the white yeah. community, you need to be white. And you're like, wait a minute. But I'm like Latino. <laughs> like yeah. I'm Mexican or something. And right? it got to where like if I went somewhere that was predominantly black people, I got looked at like, why is this white girl here? And if I went somewhere that was predominantly white people, I got looked at like, why is this black girl here? And, um, you know, and I've dated all races, you know, Mexican, I've dated a Thai, I've dated a white What's guy, up? I've dated, I'm married to a black guy. Like, I, I don't see the color like everybody else does. So it was never a, a like, oh, I have to do this because I'm black or white. You know, I have mostly Latino in me, you know, come to find out. So it was very interesting. Um, so as I got older, um, I ended up getting pregnant at 17, dropped out of high school, you know, thought I knew everything over Christmas break of my senior year. Of course. <laughs> Found out I was pregnant in February and um, ended up having my daughter at six months and two days. She was just over two pounds when oh, I delivered wow. her. So I'm in the hospital. They transported me here. We moved away in 94 to Louisiana, Missouri, just north of here a little bit. And um, I told my mom something wasn't right. And they transported me here to the hospital and my baby was literally just falling out. So they're like, okay, well, we're just going to put you in this bed. We're going to kind of lay you backwards for a couple of days, see if she kind of slides back in and stops what? your labor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my brain around the fact that I'm 17 and pregnant. Right. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> right. And um, so that didn't work. I ended up delivering her within 24 hours. Um, my water broke at 352, and I delivered at 1202. So oh, literally, wow. like, by the time you said active labor, she was out. Um, I spent three months here in Columbia kind of trying to figure out, I didn't really bond with her cause I was young and I was still trying to figure it all out. And I didn't know if my baby was going to live, if she was going to die. Cause all these other kids in the in NICU were passing away and I'm young. It, it was just all so much. And then I think lacking that motherly nurture that I didn't have as a kid so much. And again, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it, I didn't have that in me yet. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. I didn't have a baby and go, Oh, I had a baby. I was just literally like in this whirlwind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm here in Columbia my family is an hour and a half away, but I'm back. I'm back where I had grown up for the most part. And I started just hanging out with different friends and started to feel that teenage freedom. So who were you staying with at that time? Where was your baby at that time? Still in the NICU? She was in the NICU and I was in the Ronald McDonald house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. When it was at the old facility where MOI is now. And so, you know, I'm just trying to occupy my time as this young teenager with a baby. And people are like, if you have a baby in the hospital, you should probably be at the hospital. I'm (laughs) like, yeah, I do. And I mean, it's sad to think back about it, how horrible that is. But I I just, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to Mm -hmm. behave. And so she gets out. We go, you know, we go back home to my mom's in Louisiana, Missouri, and you know, it was just, I went back to high school and graduated. I did repeat my senior year and I did graduate. Luckily, awesome. um, I had to take two extra courses on top of it, but I was a single mom with my own apartment. I worked two jobs and I graduated high school. That's awesome. Which I thought was amazing. Um, but still something wasn't really kickstarting in me that reliable responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't save money. I had terrible credit at this point cause I was just spending it as fast as I was making it. Credit cards, phone cards, the whole nine. Mm-hmm. And, um, I graduated and me and my 
current boyfriend, not my daughter's dad, ended up moving away to college in Quincy, Illinois. And I did about a year in year and a half in college. And my daughter's dad was an active drug addict and still is. And then my boyfriend got arrested for dealing drugs, which is still something I didn't know anything about. So here I was, 19 years old, with a baby, an hour from home, and completely alone again. And it seemed just like no matter what I did, I was always alone. Mm -hmm. So I ended up moving to Jeff City because my mom was in Jeff City at the time. My mom never sits still, so she's always moving all over the place. So I moved to Jeff City thinking, okay, I'll move to Jeff City and I have my daughter. Me and my mom can maybe have a relationship. And that didn't last long. I started bartending which I didn't know anything about the dark side of the world. Bartending, anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I get into a club, and I'm waitressing and bartending, and one of my friends after we closed was like, hey, do you want to go to an after party? I'm like, sure. My daughter's with my mom for the night. I can go hang out. So I go, and I meet this guy, and he literally, like, just see... These, these traffickers just see vulnerability. Oh, God. They see, you know, the lack of love, the lack of... Just, I mean, literally like a flashing light that just says, this dummy, this dummy, this dummy. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I was 21 at the time, at this point. Uh-huh. I was 21. So, um, that's kind of when I met him in Jeff City. So, you had a relationship with him. Yeah. And then, like, so were you captured at any point? Or, like, you were still, like, kind of free? Like, you had mm-hmm. your baby, you raised her, and you just kept going back into the situation? He was, um, so my specific kind of trafficking is called intimate partner trafficking. So there's so many realms of trafficking. Human trafficking is kind of Yeah, I was like, I was going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> human trafficking is the umbrella of trafficking. So under human trafficking, you have labor trafficking, organ trafficking, and sex trafficking. Wait, what is organ trafficking? There are literally children and human beings that are harvested or created for the purpose of the use of their organs. There's actually a true story movie out about that where they had a second child so they could use those organs to save their first child. Oh, my gosh. But it happens. It happens okay. all the time. And then human trafficking. Human trafficking. Well, that's the, the umbrella. That's the, bro- the umbrella. And, and then, then sex have, trafficking, sex trafficking. And labor trafficking. That's a lot of your nail salons, your Mexican restaurants, your Asian restaurants. A lot of these people are brought over here with the intentions of a better life in the United States. And then when they get here, their green card or all the documentations are taking from, taken from them. So that's why a lot of times when you go get your nails done, you see the same people. And yeah. they're just, they're popping them in and out, in and out, in and out. And it's the same with the Mexican restaurants. A lot of your landscaping businesses, a lot of your um, cleaning businesses, a lot of your door-to-door sales. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is human trafficking. That is horrible. Yeah. And so, like, back, so then yours was intimate trafficking. So, so mine what does falls that under, look like? So mine falls under the sex trafficking. i Yeah, it's kind of a newer term. And that's when you're actually in an intimate relationship with your trafficker. So me and I have a sister survivor actually that shares the same story as me. She was married to him prior to me. And, um, so you guys were married. Yeah, we actually got married. Oh, wow. So that's where the intimate partner trafficking comes in because we were in a committed relationship, married the whole nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that only took, um, so there's a grooming phase. So they meet you. And then they just, they woo you. We call it the wooing, the grooming stage, where everything you ever wanted and thought comes true. But that's six months. With, within six months, if you're giving me everything I want and you seem like the Prince Charming that I've ever wanted, 
of course I'm going to marry you. Yeah. So we met in December and we got married in June. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then it turned dark. And then it turned dark. I mean, by this time he had isolated me, which there's the isolation phase. And you don't realize these things are going on because it's all part of their grooming. And we had moved from Jefferson City to Fort Worth, Texas. At this point, is your daughter now with you? She's still with me at this time. Yeah. And she's four. She will be five in July. We get married in June and she turns five in July. And what happened in July? So in July, so we kind of had this option of either you strip or you join the military. And I didn't know anything about stripping. For you. That was his whole facade. Like once the lights switched or the switch went off, it was literally like, how are you going to take care of us? You moved. It was my fault. We moved to Texas. Everything became my fault. I I got blamed for everything. And I moved us to Texas. So how am I going to help take care of us? And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about stripping. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, we're yeah. stripping a table? Like, what are we talking <laughs> like, about? Like, what is this stripping table? <laughs> so cheese? I was like, okay, I'll join the military, which has always kind of been a dream of mine because a lot of my family is in the military. But it was all about guaranteed income to him. Yeah. A stable household. Like, how can I provide something that will be a constant? And so you joined the military. So I joined the military. Oh, wow. I sent my daughter back to Missouri to stay with my parents, which was probably the smartest thing I did not knowing what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And she turned five the day I li- enlisted and left for basic training. So it was literally like a Monday I met a recruiter, a Wednesday we got married, and Friday I left for basic Oh, shit. <laughs> He's like, and another one's <laughs> off the payroll. Okay. Yeah. So um, somehow things weren't going well, though. He wasn't able to survive. So somehow he was able to call the military. <laughs> And convinced them that I needed to come home out of basic because he had a stroke, which was all false. He didn't have a stroke. Oh boy. Nothing. How he did this, like, this is just how manipulative he was. And so I'm, like, in an RTU holding unit, and they come and get me, and they're like, Private, get your stuff. You're going home. Your husband's had a stroke. And I'm like, what? That just didn't sound right to me. And so I, I did. I went home. Okay. Like, excuse from the military. <laughs> So then, like, back to, like, this whole trafficking stuff, Mm -hmm. and then, like, so were you ever, like, I guess, sold to other people, or? Yeah, so since the military didn't work out, for whatever reason, he decided I didn't need to do that, Um, the next step was to introduce me to the strip clubs. So he convinced me to go with my survivor sister to a club in Tulsa, and, I mean, I am, like, shaking. I am terrified because, like, naked people, alcohol, all new to me. Because where I bartended at was just, like, a little hole-in-the-wall teenage bar. Yeah. It wasn't a flashing lights, loud music, strip club kind of environment. Everyone's, like, on coke. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm walking in, and I'm just, like, I mean, I am shaking. And she, you know, we were plotted against each other. We weren't allowed to be friends, me and her, because... He was making her think I was taking over her life and I was going to be her and she was out and I was in. And so she was kind of like, here's a pair of shoes, here's a dress, put it on, go hit the stage. And she left. My shoes were too small. (laughs) My dress did not look good on me. Of course, it was like some neon rainbow dress. I mean, this was all new to me. And she left. And at that point, were you ever like... There has to be a better option. Like, I can work somewhere else. Or, like, was it just, like, you know, you just never know when you're in this scenario with that pressure and someone's with you. And 
I mean, you they felt forced. You I felt it. so forced. And they have you so brainwashed that by the time you even realize what you're doing is wrong, you feel like it's your fault. I mean, because that's been the game all along. Everything is your fault. It's your fault the meat, the stuff, the, you know, the store ran out of meat. It's your fault I ran out of gas. It's your fault that I didn't sleep long enough. Everything becomes your fault. So it becomes my fault if I didn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And it was always a, well, so you're not going to take care of me? And I, I'm a, women are nurturers. That's our natural to take care. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, yep, guess not. So I guess like in this sense, like how is this different, I guess, from pimping? It's the same. It is the same. So trafficking is the new word for pimping. Okay. You didn't hear the word trafficking five, ten years ago. Okay. So we've now went from pimping to trafficking. And now it is a federal offense. So, and there's no statute of limitations. So I could today say, hey, this man did this to me and take it to court and he could possibly be charged with a felony. Have you? I haven't, and neither has my survivor sister, just because this is more about educating to us at this point. Because like the statistic I gave you, I would rather know that I'm helping other people with what I've gone through and educating and sharing our experiences to maybe save another person. I don't, we've never named him. Mm-hmm. He knows who he is. He knows what he did. But we've never named him. We've never pointed a finger at him. And so we don't want to give him this, that attention. Yeah. So what if the, he just keeps doing that to other people? Um, I by mean, not sharing. You know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we know where he's at. We know where he lives. We know what he's doing now. And I'm, he's, does that make you feel unsettled? At times. But I, I always, like, I keep track. Like, I know he's there. Mm-hmm. But there's been some weird coincidences that have happened over the years where I feel like he's been at the same places. I mean, I know he's been the same places as me, and it's just been oddly creepy at the timing. Like, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and you coincidentally show up there and go to the ch- same church I do on the same Sunday I do when I'm just trying to find a new church. Hmm. Very weird. So, that is... Th- I mean, that that's layers upon layers. Yeah. So, like, at this point, like, how do you get back on your feet from such, like... I guess a horrendous situation. How long was this whole Tobago? So my trafficking actively lasted six years. Wow. Yeah. I met him in December of 2000 and I got out October 14th of 2006. And what was your like turning point or like, how did you, would the term be escape or just left? I just left. I was like, you know what? I just had this like coming to Jesus moment and I was locked in the trunk of his car. I had been in there for two and a half days. Wait, you were in the trunk? Yeah, because at this point I had started to come to realization, like, this is not what I want to do. Was it while you were in the trunk? <laughs> kind of, but I was working at a club that I had some pretty amazing support, and they had helped me start putting money back. And um, I had gotten a DUI. I had no documentation. Like I said, he took my documentation. He had my social security card, my driver's license. I even had a driver that took me to and from work. Because I got to the point where the abuse was so bad physically and mentally that I would go to work and get so extremely intoxicated that when I got home, knowing I was going to get beat, that I wouldn't feel it or remember it. So I just drank myself to death. And he kidnapped me after a couple of times of me getting away. He kidnapped me this last time and locked me in the trunk of his car. 
and somehow I got it. I mean, I, I, I cannot tell you how the trunk opened, but it was just like I was talking to God, and I was like, look, I'm about to do this. I'm about to just take my life back. He's going to kill me if I stay. He's going to kill me if my le- I leave, and I'm just going to play roulette and take my chances and go. This is like a made from Hallmark movie or maybe <laughs> Lifetime. Like, yeah. At this point, in the trunk opens. Yeah. And I you like, get out. And was I anyone walked, there? No. I walked like eight miles. And I had been oh. in this trunk for two and a half days. So you can imagine. Mm-hmm. No water. Well, there was water in the trunk because we always kept water in the trunk. And I still do. So I had drank water, but I had no food. In case you get in the trunk again. Right. <laughs> Just keep water in there. Um, <laughs> and I walked to this truck stop that I knew was right there on uh-huh. the outside of town. And I just... I had a cell phone that I had taken the chip out of and hit it so he couldn't call anybody. Because he used to call everybody in my phone or make me call them and tell them, like, I'm fine. Don't come looking for me. Like all this stuff. So I had put the chip back in and I had just enough juice to call about three people. And my daughter's dad came. We were just friends at the time. He came and saved me. Wow. (laughs) And I ran into him one more time. Um, I was working at an amusement park selling spirit days for big (laughs) companies and he hid in some bushes and when everybody went up to ride the rides, he jumped out of the bushes and bit 18 holes in my face. Excuse me? Yeah. Bit. Like, bite. Which which person? The husband? My trafficker, yes. How does that happen? I mean, it was like... All I could think of is like the Snoop Dogg video. Oh when he's sitting on the bed and the dad comes home and he turns into a Rottweiler. <laughs> I see this because all I remember is like me standing there and he was choking me and then I just see his head turning and he starts biting me. And I had all these bite marks on the side of me. Like he ripped up the inside of my mouth mm. and then I'm just standing there like everybody starts coming back down and I'm just like, and he's pinching my back, which used to be his thing. Like he would pinch the skin in my back. Like you better not say anything. And I'm just standing there with like blood pouring down my face. And my boss was in a wheelchair Oh Lord. and he's just looking at me like, and he's like, I thought you fell and just were like too embarrassed to go wipe your face. So finally he says, Hey, come here. I need to talk to you in the office. And my trafficker wouldn't let me go. He was like, okay, come on, we'll go. And he's like, no, you can't come in our office. And so then my trafficker's son was there, and he wanted to ride this specific ride, but we didn't have anybody there to run that ride. It's like the they strap you in, and they pull the bungee. Oh, Lord. And they do this. Mm-hmm. So if my boss, finally it's starting to click. So he says, hey, didn't your son want to ride that ride? So he gets us all back up there, and he's just, my trafficker's distracted. They call the police. The whole park gets surrounded by police. I leave in an ambulance. He leaves and goes to jail. For the night. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I spent more time in the emergency room than he spent in jail. That's sad. So, I mean, obviously, what did recovery even look like for you? Like, do you still have PTSD or anything from this? Or, like, mm-hmm. get even... Now that you have Vela, like, yeah. just even overly anxious of, like, you can go here, you're not going here. Or you can do this, but you're not doing this. Um, I mean, I have extreme PTSD. I, I'm terrified of the dark. I'm terrified of large crowds. Um, there's certain smells, the smell of vanilla. Um, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) blow that candle, blow that candle. Um, you know, there's definitely things that trigger me. There's colognes I smell that he used to wear that trigger me that I'll smell them. And I'm just kind of (sighs) like, 
Yeah, you know, sure. it kind of triggers my asthma. Um, you know, I have, yeah, I have my 12 year old daughter and she's a first degree black belt in Taekwondo and, you know, she's beautiful. So it's overly, you know, protective of me as well. And my husband as well. And I'm always very cautious of like how she's dressing or what pictures get posted or, you know, everything Mm -hmm. she's doing. Because I, I tell people, I don't want like me and her had this conversation the other day because she's like, why do you make me put on sweatpants over my shorts to go to volleyball? And I'm like, I'm protecting you from going through what I went through. I don't want to see you. I, I, you're beautiful and you're a target and you're, you're a young woman. The average age for trafficking is 12 to 14 years old. Mm. That is the average age that people go into being trafficked. So what are ways, and that's what I wanted to get into too, like what are ways which I guess women mostly become a part of human trafficking? Is it mostly common? Um, I know yours was such a different story, but mm-hmm. like, is it everyday people? Are they runaways kind of feeling unloved? Is it drunk nights at a bar trusting the wrong people? Or is it like kind of you grow out of foster care and then they just have nowhere to go and then again you fall into that mm-hmm. trusting wrong people? Or is there is there any of those or a type it's or all of, all of them? It's all, all of them. Of it. Age out of foster care is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, runaways is very high on that list. I know, and I know that April will tell you the same thing. That's my survivor sister. Mm-hmm. A lot of, and I get this a lot, why don't you put your daughter in private school to protect her? And I'm mm-hmm. like, because a lot of the girls that I was trafficked with or that worked in the adult industry went to private school. They, their parents thought if I shelter you and protect you from all of this, then it'll never happen to you. And those girls were the wildest ones. They gave the best lap dances, according to the customers, because they had been so confined and restricted in life that once they had freedom, they went wild. And then there's naive, probably, yeah. trusting the wrong people. Trusting the wrong people is huge, and there's such a system to being trafficked or pimped. These pimpers, they have spotters out. They'll have people at bus stations, train stations. I mean, you don't have anywhere to go? Well, hey, come live with me and my wife or... Do you want to come work for me? I mean, it's, it's so easy to target people who have nothing. That is insane to me. Because, yeah. I mean, like, you take it from a realist point of view. I'm like, I'm such a direct person. I'm like, <laughs> sorry, no, we're good. Yeah. Like, you know, but when you are in that situation mm-hmm. and in that environment, and it's just like there's I, – I, I completely understand. So what typically happens to victims once they are captured? You had the grooming stage. Yeah. And then after that, like, what will happen? I mean, it just depends on the the motive of your trafficker. You know, my story, a lot of people say it seems more graceful because I wasn't chained mm-hmm. up and tied up and, and put in a box or locked in a basement. That happens, though. Mm-hmm. I've been in the room with survivors sharing the same story with the coalitions that I work with or even my own nonprofit that I've started. That happens. People mm-hmm. are getting locked in the basement. People are getting you know, strangled, locked in closets, tied up, chained up, the whole nine. It it happens. And then, like, you know, we were talking about this the other day, me and my, like, some of my team members. And it's so insane to me because, you know, you feel like you've, we spotted Osama bin Laden, you yeah. know, and, you know, we put a lockdown on this COVID and it's like, we shut those borders down real quick. <laughs> what will happen to traffickers and why are they not shut down in a heartbeat? Because it's like, you know, or like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or like when a missing person goes missing, like you can't find those people. Right. Like what? And it's, it's hard because a lot of the people that are trafficked or kidnapped, 
they have a, you're scared. You're scared. You know, the statistic I gave you the other day. I want you to go through it again in a hot minute. <laughs> I Actually it. do it. Okay. There's 24.9 million people being trafficked at this very moment. At this very moment. 24.9 million the in the world. 10% ever make it out alive. Mm. 1% ever go on to tell anybody about what has happened to them. And a tenth of that ever go on to share and educate like me and my survivor sister do. That is so insane yeah. to me. And human trafficking is the second fastest growing criminal industry in the world. So the sale of human beings is between the sale of guns and the sale of drugs in the world. In the United States. This is happening every day, all day, every second of the day. Somebody you know is being trafficked. And... Even in Colombia, for example, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things is Midway. Yeah. And my question is, like, there were so many people that knew it, but then again, am I, if we know this, then why are we not putting a lockdown in Midway? Like, what's happening? And it's so hard, I guess, to actually identify what's going on because these people are slick. Mm-hmm. You would have never, I mean, we bought a house, we had a car, I mean, we look like everyday people because the same time I was working at the strip clubs in the evening, I worked a corporate job during the day. What'd you do? I worked for Kroger Corporate. I was a nonprofit biller. <laughs> and then I would bartend on my nights off from the strip clubs and private parties I would have to do. So we looked normal. We had the Joneses, you know. Yeah. We were on we were in a neighborhood. We were we didn't live in the slums. People have this misconception that it's washed up truck drivers and, you know, uneducated females. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm smart. I graduated from high school. (laughs) I may not have made the smartest decisions, but that didn't come from lack of education or being stupid. That, you know, that's a lot of non-nurturing and stuff as I was growing up. But this is everywhere. This is every day. That is insane. And so, like, for listeners, like, how can you prevent that when we, they could be everyday people and you just Mm -hmm. don't know? You just have to be aware. You have to stay aware of your surroundings. If it doesn't feel right or it seems... I always say, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Mm-hmm. And I hate for people to feel, oh, well, you know, and miss out on their true Prince Charming mm-hmm. or Prince, Prince or Princess. But you just have to think about it logically. Like, is this going too fast? Does this seem too surreal? Like, you know, I tell Vela, you want a man that's got a good job, has a good car, has a good credit, has a house, has a foundation... I didn't check any of that with him. He didn't have any of that. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a car. He was living with his dad. (laughs) Like, if I would have actually, like, unraveled some of his secrets, I would have probably figured it out. But they make it look too good to be true. Mm -hmm. Or they make it look, you know, real. That's so interesting. So is there a group that helps survivors? And, like, where could they be found and how? Mm -hmm. Like... So me and my survivor sister and another girl just started our own nonprofit, Missouri Captive, and it's captive with, it's all capitals with a period between each one because it's captive citizens against pedophilia, trafficking, and inhumane violence everywhere. Say that again slower. <laughs> I was like, whoa, like what? Sorry, that's the Latino in me. <laughs> um, it's Missouri Captive. So captive stands for citizens against pedophilia, trafficking, inhumane violence everywhere. That's amazing. And so what do you guys work to do? So we um, hold events to raise money to help survivors um, or kids. Um, We support, 
you know, if you have a court date and, you know, especially in a lot of the pedophilia cases or trafficking cases, we'll go with you, stand by you in court. Um, we'll be support after court. Um, we just had a fish fry uh, about a month and a half ago. And we literally just started this nonprofit two months ago. Wow. And within two months, we have went to like, I think the last time I checked, we had like 27,000 followers. That's amazing. We've gone global. We're in four countries and I want to say 27 states now. That's so, so cool. Yeah. Good so for you we're guys. here locally and we're globally. We've saved a girl in the United Kingdom. We've saved a girl in Arkansas. So, you know, we're easy to find. We're on Facebook. We're on the internet. Um, there's other organizations around here too that we do work with and share. Yeah. So if it's something we don't feel like we can handle, we'll pass it on to the other organizations as well. So even with like organization wise, so I'm just thinking roughly of like people straight escaping in that escape mm-hmm. moment. Is this something they find you kind of later to like kind of build back things? Or is this something more like where, you know, as they're escaping or as they're doing something, you know, you guys have the contact information and how would they remember it? How would they connect when they don't have phones? You know, they're kind of running for their life or just, you know, escaping altogether. So there are, you know, in a lot of the truck stops, the hospitals, we partner with so many businesses to have flyers um, in pretty much every public restroom nationwide. And I know that the organization here in Columbia, I'm trying to get you the human trafficking hotline number um, because that goes, that's global. Mm -hmm. And you can call that number anytime. It's 888-373-7888. That's good. Say it again. 888-373-7888. So that's 24 hours, seven days a week that they can call that number and immediately get help. And there's a lot of things that have been, you know, pretty amazing that have came along. You know, I know now you can call 911 and order a pizza. Oh. And they're going to be like, you know, you called 911 and you're like, yes, the address is this, wherever you're at. And they're going to be like, okay, do you need help? And you just keep ordering your pizza. Uh-huh. And they'll be like, do you want to stay on the line to help get there? And you're like, no, how long until, how long is the wait until it's delivered? And that's kind of when 911 will say, okay, the, we'll have an officer there in 10 minutes. So wow. there's that. Um, going to bars, you can order an angel shot. And they'll know to help you. Um, I know we're setting up with some different businesses, such as yourself, to have a safe place mm-hmm. and list places as a safe place. So pe- a person can come in with you, and if they're by themselves, they can say, hey, I need help. If they're with their trafficker, then we'll have some kind of, hey, I need a bilateral adjustment today. And you're yeah. going to know, hey, okay, let me take them in here and yeah. separate them and call for help. So That's amazing. And so, like, is that something that's ever changing Mm-hmm. Like where it's like, you know, I'm thinking like the angel shot. I'm like, it's the next one, the <laughs> demon shot, the unicorn. Like, because like, how does like your trafficker not like kind of catch on to like what's yeah, happening? You know what I mean? That's the scary part is it's, it's hard to keep changing because to keep the victim updated as well as the trafficker finding it out, it's hard in that realm. And it, it does that. That's, that's the loophole. That's mm-hmm. where people fall through because when is it a safe time to ask for help? Mm-hmm. You know, I've had the police come to my door and my trafficker has been standing behind the door and I had an ex parte against him and I'm telling the police and I'm like doing all this to the police, but they're not catching any of it. Uh, and they left. You're like, and he's there oh and I'm gosh. like, and he's pinching my back. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm fine, officer. You know, so that's, that is probably the biggest loophole. Uh, that's so hard. Um, if someone was 
Like I'm, I'm thinking so many avenues <laughs> here. Let's got my mind going. Yeah. Um, but if someone was like trapped, what are avenues we as listeners need to be aware of um, to help more get free, known, and saved? I know you briefly just said some of those. Um, but is there like just even in everyday, you know, passing, you know, do you, is there any type of behavior specifically or is it just so different with every person where like, you know, some of you guys are acting cool, calm, collected, yeah. and the other people are acting like, I mean, a lot of times it, it's, you know, the number one rule is if you see something, say something mm-hmm. kind of deal. I know that you notice like age differences. You'll see an older gentleman with a younger, younger lady and if it's a situation where you don't feel comfortable saying something or calling for help you know take notes get license plate numbers you know write down a description of them and then call later and say hey this couple like an Applebee's incident happened where I was in a restaurant eating and we were moving to Georgia and we went to the same Applebee's two Thursdays in a row and both Thursdays the same couple was sitting there and it was an older man and a very young girl and I just I noticed it Mm-hmm. And he kept trying to kiss her, and she kept looking around to see if anybody was looking. But they were sitting clear over here where there was nobody. You know, they they, they still try to isolate you. And I asked the waitress. I was like, what's going on? She's like, oh, that's his dad. Well, your dad's not kissing you on the lips like that and holding your hand, and you're not begging him for money. And so in that instance, I said something. Um, to him? Yeah. I, I was... I was I waited for him to get up, or her to get up and go to the bathroom, and I went and said something. I was like, I know what's going on here. And she was, I mean, she came back, and she was just, like, terrified. And I told her, I said, you don't have to leave with him. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> was your husband with you? Yeah, and I left my brand-new tumbler cup there, and I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> I had just bought a cool tumbler cup that I was glad that I helped this girl. I mean, I hope I did. Yeah. I hope I did. Um you know, my husband's super supportive. He helps me. I mean, when I got done being done being trafficked, when I got out of my situation, of course, I was I was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I went from my trafficker, who I was with for six years, to my second ex-husband. And he was very narcissistic. He was very sexually abusive, verbally abusive, and very controlling, even if you won't admit it. That's part of the narcissism. Mm-hmm. But um, And I kept stripping because that's all I knew. I, I stayed in that I stayed in that industry because I felt like I grew up in that. I mean, I was this twenty one year old girl who went into being trafficked for six years, and then I continued dancing until, gosh, I don't even know how many years after that because that's all I knew. That's all I was good at. That's all that had been like so embedded in my mind that this is all you'll ever be. This is all you'll ever be good at. Mm-hmm. Until I finally just and I I left my second my you know my daughter's dad and I married my husband. Not in that dramatic of an order, but <laughs> <laughs> we dated for four years. Um, and then with him, it was literally like, especially the closer October 14th got, because yeah. that was my survival anniversary. I was abusive to him in my sleep. He said there were nights where he would literally have to like grab me and hold me down because I'd be kicking and screaming in my sleep. Oh, wow. And then as time went on over the years, sometimes it would go by and I wouldn't even realize it. And then this year, I knew this year because I noticed for like two weeks I was kind of depressed, I guess. Yeah. I guess I can admit that. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, mean, that's, um, I mean, that's a huge yeah. event. And somebody asked me if I was okay and that they knew tomorrow was a big day. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. That's what's been going on. Because my, even though my brain didn't realize it, You're... my body knew. Mm-hmm. And my body was shutting down knowing that that date was approaching. Yeah. So... That is so insane. Yeah. Um, so, like, what can we do 
collectively to even mm-hmm. prevent trafficking, which is so hard to prevent. But like, mm-hmm. what are steps, even small steps that can be bigger steps? Uh, you know, first, don't fuel the fire. I say, I tell people, don't feed the demand. Porn is such a huge industry as well. And most of that is trafficking. People are, you know, we've been in arguments on our own nonprofit page with people about, I'm not going to stop watching porn. Porn is porn. And I'm like, do you realize how many of those girls are drugged mm-hmm. or manipulated into, I mean, that's hours of intercourse with somebody who is, and then you go off and you think, you know, these boys watch that and then they go off and they think that's how to have a relationship with a girl and they're intimately rough with females because mm-hmm. that's what they're watching in porn. So I always say porn kills love. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge thing for us. Um, I don't know. There's there's so much. Yeah. <laughs> there's so I mean, much. Yeah. There's so much. You know, just and be protective of your kids, your surroundings. Always be aware of your surroundings. You know, I was a firm believer in the buddy system I learned in the military. <laughs> I never try to go anywhere by myself. Or um, if, if I'm coming somewhere in the dark, I'll call the person and be like, I'm here. Can you watch me walk in? Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband won't let me carry the trash out or carry groceries in the house because I'm so attentive on carrying it that I'm not really you know, paying attention to what's going on around me. So. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> He's super protective. I kind of like him. <laughs> yeah, I was like, kind of sweet. That is kind of sweet. Um, so thank you, one, for sharing yeah. such an amazing, just powerful story. And I didn't know the many layers with that. Mm-hmm. Um, as we wrap up, question that's kind of burning in my mind, even with trafficking. So do you have a relationship now with your oldest daughter after being gone for so long in your journey? Yeah, I mean, it's taken you know, definitely some years. And there was a lot of manipulation in why I wasn't there Mm -hmm. and what she was told, you know, because my mom's, my mom's never dealt with her life in growing up. So it was easier for her to point fingers at me and, oh, well, she's not here and she's not here. Instead of telling my daughter what was really going on. And maybe my mom didn't know. And I, I keep saying that too. Like I don't have a relationship with her because I don't know how. And my daughter is 24 now. She's pregnant with her third child. They wow. live in Japan. She's married. Her husband's in the military. And I talk to her quite a bit, you know, and we we try. Yeah. We do more. You know, she knows I'm her mom. She knows I love her. I don't think she quite understands, like you said, the layers of what I went through. Mm-hmm. And that I wasn't just abandoning her because I didn't want to be her mom. Mm-hmm. I think at the time I made an ultimate decision to protect her and it turned into something horrible Mm -hmm. and then it was just too late like she was settled she was happy where she was and even though she probably would have been happier with me she was safer where she was at did you ever tell her the story yeah she knows the whole story wow yeah she shares a lot about trafficking too that's good yeah that's good she helps me educate i like it i mean it's so important yeah um is there a group that helps survivors? And I know you mentioned the group that you just did, but mm-hmm. also like kind of the coalition, mm-hmm. if people aren't familiar with that. And what's the difference between the coalition um, here in Columbia and then your group? Um, so the Central Missouri Stop Human Trafficking Coalition, I think they changed their name around a little bit, but that's the name I know it by. Um, they're locally, they help just Central Missouri. So they're okay. kind of like across the middle here. And they really just focus on the trafficking aspect of it where we deal with trafficking pedophilia and inhumane violence so um we just recently had a case come up to us and 
my survivor sister actually handled it and she handed it off to them. So we work hand in hand with them. Um, we just applied for our 5013C and since we weren't actively able to take donations, all of our t-shirt sales and money we were making, we were donating to the Underground Railroad, which is also another organization. Um, <laughs> like what? <laughs> There's so much information. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we made some donations to them. I know our t-shirt sales and hat sales went straight to them. So That's very, very cool. Yeah. Where can people find you on social media if you want to be contact mm-hmm. or questioned or if, you know, this podcast gets so big <laughs> that, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, like I need to reach you or even like your organization. Where can um, they find you? So I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. TikTok. <laughs> and what's your handle? Uh, I'm just Robin Fleming on all of them. Okay. So they can find me with two M's. And Missouri Captive, that's our, our nonprofit. So we're just Missouri and then Captive, all capital letters with a period between each captive letter. Love it. Well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing yeah. again. I enjoyed having you on and I'm learning so much. This is like, I need, there'll probably be a part two of this. There I'm, could be a part two, probably I, part three, probably four, Probably a three, five. four, and five. It will be coming this upcoming year. Yeah. And I but, think that's how I met you guys is just the, um, the coalition, the coalition mm-hmm. and the long-term effects of the abuse that I had been through. Yeah. And so. at that point, honestly, I didn't really know that because mm-hmm. I was so new to restoration yeah. at the time. And you came in, and I was talking to, like, the lady that was with you. Mm-hmm. And, like, she was just so big on taking care of you, and this is this and this. And so we were like, okay, yeah, like, absolutely. And yeah. But it never really got relayed to me. Like, I just yeah. knew it was part of something, but I didn't know what. And so I was, like, adjusting, and they're like, yeah, yeah, just, 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 just okay. I'm like, okay, don't know. And so I wasn't honestly until recently that I knew it was big with trafficking. I knew there was like a bunch of layers going on and I didn't know specifically what it was until recently. I was like, it's, I need to know more about this because well, even like when the crossing, my home church did a sermon over my story a couple of years back just sitting down with the pastors and the the different people there, they were the same thing. They were like, they kept saying sex trafficking and we're like, no, it's human trafficking and that's the umbrella. And we just had to keep breaking it down to them because they didn't either. I yeah. mean, people are so oblivious to them. You know, people, so many people walk through this world with rose colored glasses and everything's black and white. Mm-hmm. I lived in a very gray world mm-hmm. and people just don't see that way unless it's, it's happened to them. After I did the news here, people started saying, wow, I actually know somebody that was trafficked. And I'm like, we look like everyday people. Mm-hmm. There's no type of person. It's not a specific height or weight or color or, mm-hmm. you know, anything. It's anybody. And I think that's so huge, too, because, you know, we were talking about that, like, my mm-hmm. church in St. Louis. You know, they started wanting to do, like, a profit thing with it and get people involved mm-hmm. with the human trafficking and everything. And I think where it did not go as well, not that that wasn't a, a good thing, it was, it was a good thing, but it was, there was a disconnect in kind of who, what is it? Yeah. Who does this happen to? How can we help? And it was like so far off yeah. that like, I was thinking that this was such a distant, like, kind of like you said, like, you know, runaways from foster care or it was third world countries yeah. and like you see sh- like weird shit in like Japan and China yeah. and Taiwan and like you know this like the little sex little camps and stuff where you see them yeah. like from movies and you're like yeah that's definitely going on like in real life yeah but it was not a realistic 
image and yeah. also like a point of like, well, do we help this? No, I'm not feeling it. Oh, I don't know. Because yeah. you just didn't know. And that's what I love about our nonprofit specifically is as much as we love Nanette and her organization, Nanette knows a lot about trafficking because she's dealt with a lot of survivors, but our coalition is ran by survivors Mm -hmm. and it it didn't have anything to do with us stepping away from her. It's just, we wanted to help from a a victim standpoint and a survivor standpoint. Like there's things that we could see and ways that we could help and be supportive and we didn't feel like we wanted to take her spot or her spotlight. So we went and started our own just because there's nothing like helping somebody and truly knowing what they've been going through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the part of the support that we really offer is we put a face to it. I can say, I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. I know what you need and truly mean it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's deep. And I put a face to it. That's just... that's awesome you do and you're rocking I mean even organization wise it's just the honestly the more the merrier have the mission help more people yeah you know reach more so if like one can't you know the other one will but again I just thank you for being on this is just such an awesome story but I definitely will be having you back yeah for part two and three (laughs)